spoken over Pastor Jay concerning the South. And he went on staff with a dear friend of mine, one that I'd preached for many times uh, as an evangelist. And uh, that pastor felt God was done with him. He went to another city. But Pastor Jay and Francis stayed. Has it been two pastors you've outlived or three pastors? So you talk about stability, long-term application. Aren't you glad for those that are not afraid to stand in the gap and stay there? Stand the gap and stay there until God is done with them. And we honor you and all the kids. And uh, Pastor Jay was going to come up and sing a couple of verses of the Star Spangled Banner. But Francis gave me a large amount of money not for him not to do it. So we're not going to put him on the spot today. If you have a weapon with you, a Bible with you, if you will turn with me to Isaiah. Probably my f- most favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Isaiah 40. And we're going to stay there for a minute. Most of you know how this chapter concludes. Spent quite a bit of time the past couple of weeks with some men of God that we begin to visit with one another and begin to ask one another, are we sharing today to the nation what the nation needs to hear? Are we edifying and building up the church in a way that the church should be edified and built up? And I've took a long, hard look at some of the things that, that I've been sharing and ministering. And two weeks ago, we talked about boundaries and borders and barrio and felt like it was a good, encouraging word, a word of direction, a word of consistency. And then the Pastor Bryce came back and hit it out of the park. And uh, so God has been laying some foundations for us. But this morning, as, as God sovereignly began to move and we begin to realize the sovereignty of God and how great God is and how awesome God is, I think sometimes instead of focusing on our challenge or on our problem, I think sometimes we just need to focus on the presence and the power of God. And instead of telling God sometimes about all of our problems and challenges, it would be cool if we could just tell our problems and challenges about God. That friend that sticketh closer than a brother, that friend that, that will do and go, go to, the, to the depth or the height to bring into our life what we need, not necessarily what we want, because sometimes as children, we might want ice cream and Dr. Pepper for, for breakfast. And I don't know about you, but if I eat ice cream and Dr. Pepper for breakfast, something happens in my stomach, and I'm worthless for about six or seven hours. Can anybody relate? So God does not always give us what we ask for, but God gives us what we need. He is truly a great God. If you notice the chapter 40, And I want to bring attention, if I may, to verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that hath no might, he increaseth their strength. Even the youth shall faint and grow weary, and the young men utterly fall. But say it with me. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard the greatness and the awesomeness of the God that we serve? He begins to declare to us that he gives strength, he gives power, he gives might. He says, even the youth shall faint and grow weary. That's very rare, especially since Red Bull has been presented to the nation. But there are times when even the youth lose their strength and energy, and 
God comes to where we are and he lifts us up to where he is and he begins to renew the things that he has given us. He begins to allow us to do things that we have not yet done and we rest in the fact that we belong to him. What a great God that we serve. My thought this morning is, as I've been calling different ones, and I've been hearing some of the same songs, and it seemed like every caller ID lately has been talking about how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God. My little nephews ascend the hill. They're singing about the greatness of God. For a few minutes today, I would like to talk about the awesomeness of God. And I realize that I'm in a house that that subject is welcome and pleasant. I want to bring attention, if I may, to verse 12 of that same chapter, Isaiah 40. And 12. I'm sorry, verse 18. To whom then will you liken me? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? To whom then, note if you will, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? God today is asking us a question, Tamika. And God is saying, Tamika, who in your life, or who in your mind, or who in your family, can you compare to me? Is there anyone in your life, is there anyone in your family, is there anyone in, in any corridors of time that you can possibly compare to God? And I would not attempt this this morning if God had not asked me this question. How can we compare God to something if we don't know really the greatness or the awesomeness of God? Can anybody relate? Let me try to answer God's question and let me talk about Albert Einstein. A man among men. Intellect was probably smarter than 10,000 other men put together. Probably used 20% of his brain instead of 10. He was the one that says that when you go faster than fast, what a statement, you could actually come back fractionally younger than when you left. He talks about time travel. I remember several years ago, I left Tokyo, Japan Friday night, flew all night long, and wound up in Honolulu, Hawaii Friday morning at 7.30. So literally, I got on a plane and went so fast that I came back a day younger. Now, unfortunately, going, I lost a day. So it all kind of evened out. He said in his lifetime, there were 900 books written on the subject of relativity, and only nine people really knew what they were talking about. He was the one that said energy e equals mass times the constant of the square of the speed of light. When Mrs. Einstein was asked, do you understand anything about E equals MC squared? She said, no, I just keep his coffee warm. And that's, Seth, that's kind of where I would, I would fit in, somebody intellectual and smart. I would just, I would just do well to keep his coffee cup full. But when I, when I think of comparing Einstein to God, I must apologize because Einstein talks of time travel, but God has traveled. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And before you were in your mother's womb, he already acted out your days. He sings over you. He blesses you and lets you know that when you hit a bump in the road, he is there to carry you through. I like the footprints in the sand. I like the fact that I'm walking hand in hand with God. But sometimes I walk dangerously close to the cliff. That's when God picks me up and carries me, hopefully like an eagle. So I apologize to God. Einstein ain't going to get it. One of my favorite characters in life is Winston Churchill. When 
England was under attack, and the Nazi planes were dropping bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. It was his voice that came on the radio every single day. People, they, they held on to that voice. They knew that as long as he was speaking, England had not yet been devastated. And when I think about Winston Churchill, I think about some of you in the congregation that your wit is so smart that you come back with uh, responses like Gregory House. I love to watch House. He says things that I wish I could get away with. And, uh, you know, Mr. Churchill was one of those men. Mr. Churchill was one of those men that spoke exactly what he thought, and he didn't care who was listening. I remember that he got very irritated at a female member of parliament, and the female member took the floor and began to address Mr. Churchill. And here's what she said. She said, Sir, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your tea. Without a thought, he said, Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. I wish I'd have thought of that. He made, a, he made a statement one day that a certain, certain member of the, of the constituency did not have the brains of a fly, a little fly. So he was called on the carpet, and he was asked to apologize the next day to Parliament. Parliament one-third full was packed to the rafters. Everybody wanted to see the great Churchill humbled. So he stood up, and here's what he said. Yesterday I made the statement that this man does not have the brains of a flea. Since then I've learned he does have the brains of a flea. The best one, I think, is he went to a, a celebration after the war, and they got a little bit intoxicated, and he made some snide remarks to one of the ladies there, and the lady looked at him and said, you're drunk and you're obnoxious. And he looked at her and said, you're right, but you're ugly. And in the morning, I'll be sober. <laughs> but you know what? When you compare... <laughs> When you can, listen, if you didn't get it, go to our webpage. We have a spot just for blondes only that you can go to our webpage and, and I can explain all these jokes to you. But you know, go with me there. Einstein, Winston Churchill, George Washington, George Washington Carver, Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, Louis Pasteur. When you, when you talk about all those great men and you lump them all together and try to compare them to God, it's like comparing an ant to a dinosaur or a candle to the sun. We can't do it. Our intellect cannot possibly grasp the greatness and the awesomeness of God. But I believe today we need to grasp that because there are some mountains, there are some monsters in your life that need to be moved. There are things in your life that you need to overcome and you need to grasp the promise that says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and we begin to learn that's not just a, a, a cool phrase but it is in reality a truth those of you who made a commitment to college, the next four years will be incredible years, but there will be seasons in your life where there might be a financial struggle or an academic struggle. You're going to feel like you're alone, feel like that you're, you're, God's forgotten you, but he has not. He will be there for you. Some are thinking about starting new homes and, and, and getting married and starting a family, and that's a scary place to be, but God has promised that he would never leave you or forsake you. Some of you are walking in Joel 2 where God said, I will restore the years that the locust has, has, has eaten and stolen from you. Some of you are getting your grandkids back. You're getting your kids back. You're getting your joy back. You're getting your energy back. You're getting your strength back. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'll give the Lord a hand cup of praise. So I apologize today. This is not really a, a, a great way to compare God. Notice, if you will, verse 12. Who hath measured the waters... In the hollow of his hand, 
and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. God's going to help us today and he's going to draw some parallels of his own. Aren't you glad that God's helping us early? Can you imagine a land of giants and a giant so large that if he were to put his foot on the United States, the United States would disappear. Can you imagine that kind of giant? Yet in Isaiah 66 and 1, God says, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the place that you build for me, and where is the place of my rest? We have some incredible contractors in this house today. I, I would be amazed at anybody that had the ability to design a house big enough for God to live in. I cannot even grasp that. I was there with Dr. Robert Schuler when the Crystal Cathedral was being, was being birthed. I was there with Scott and Cindy, Church Without Walls, a Carpenter's Home, an incredible build, incredible facility. But when I think about the greatest buildings, and, and probably Chris and Susan Victoria can go above and beyond. They've seen the Sistine Chapel. They've seen the wonders of the world. But nothing I've seen could possibly be a house that God could live in. The Bible says that he measures out the waters in the hollow of his hand. If you will look at your hand just for a moment. We have a little um, Chia Hua Hua. And uh, she loves, anytime I take a shower, she goes in and, and she'll lick the water in the, in the shower. And I'll put a little water in my hand and I'll try to, I'll try to satisfy him. And, and uh, you usually have to get two handfuls. So, you know, I look at my hand, Melinda. My hand really, you know, will not hold a whole lot of water. But, you know, if you thought just for a minute, if you would just take the, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Baltic Sea, the North Sea, the Red Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, Lake Eufaula, Lake Chihaui, take, take all the waters of the world, take all of the oceans of the world, and if you were to ask me how many gallons that is, I couldn't tell you. There's a waterfall in Rhodesia called the Victorian Falls. I think they changed the name. It's not Rhodesia anymore. The water comes over Victoria at the rate of 100 million gallons an hour. A Texan went to New York to, to sightsee, and they took him there to the Niagara Falls, an awesome display. And as he's looking at this great falls, uh, someone walks up to him, recognizes he's from Texas, because you can always tell people from Texas, and, right, and said, hey, Tex, I'll bet you don't have anything like this in Texas. And he said, no, but I know a plumber that can fix that leak in 15 minutes. <laughs> only, only a Texan, right? Take, take all the waters of the world. How much is it? God said, I'll tell you, it's this much. He holds the waters of the world in the palm of his hand. How cool is that? Does that excite anybody in this house? A little encyclopedia work, if I may. Speed travels at the rate of 186,000 miles per second. The earth has a circumference of 20,000 miles sphere. If I were to count to three, one, two, three, the speed of light had just circled the earth 15 times. How incredible is that? 
We think about the greatness of our country, the greatness of other countries, the greatness of all the things that we've seen, the greatness of the fact that the Pacific Ocean will roar from Southern California to Hawaii, and the waves will be 10, 15, 20, 30 foot high, and you let the waves get a little bit over the wall, somebody there in Huntington Beach, California will stand with a microphone and the newspaper reporters and TV camera, and they will say, yes, folks, it's true, the water is over the wall. Like, how dare you, Pacific Ocean, just travel 3,000 miles, moving everything you wanted to move. How dare you come another 50 feet closer? But it stays in its boundaries because God set the moon, which is 238,000 miles away. Listen, God is not just a God of long distance, but he's a God small enough to rule in your heart. Aren't you glad that he is the creator of the ends of the earth, but he also happens to be your dad? The Hebrew language could not find a word intimate enough, so we borrowed from the Greek. We call him Abba. That means daddy. That means he's close to me. He walks with me. He talks with me. Am I helping anybody in the building? I will, I will share with you the name that I call him. God has many names, but one name in particular. I call him Andy. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me. Oh, well, just, just a thought. When you, when you think about... When you think about the earth. If you, as Jim Ryan, could run a four-minute mile, and you started off, and you could run all the way around the earth, Levi would take about four months. It's a massive, it's a massive place. But we ask God, how big is the earth? He said, wait a minute, let me get my thimble. I'll measure the earth in a thimble that I have. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherbrooke Enzing climbed to Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. It was, a, it was miraculous. The world cheered. They should have. But take, take Mount Everest. Take Mount Fuji. Take Stone Mountain. Take the Rockies. Take the Smokies. Take, take, take Kilimanjaro. Take, take every single mountain of the world, all the Razorbacks, all the Tetons, and, and ask me, how much does that weigh? God said, just a minute, let me get my little spoon measure here, my tablespoon, and I'll tell you exactly what the mountains of the world weigh. It's just for a moment that you will grasp that all that energy, all that enthusiasm, all that power is not focused on the Grand Canyon. It's not focused at Pearl Harbor. It's focused on you. You're the apple of his eye. The Bible says that God walks the circuit of the earth looking for a people to bless. He's not hiding from us. He is everywhere. And until you grasp how everywhere he is, you can hide in the smallest cave of the earth, he'll find you. You can dig a pit. You can, you can camouflage. You can do all you want to do. He still knows where his children are, and he will come to them at the mention of, of the name of his son. How cool is that? Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this house? Notice verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or who being his counselor, hath taught him? Let me ask a question. Who educated God? What university did he attend? What degree did he receive? Where's his alma mater? Who told God to put quinine in the bark of a tree? Who told God to tell the salmon where they respond to swim upriver hundreds of miles and within just inches of where they were birthed for them to lay eggs and continue the cycle? Who who told God that the bald eagle cannot fly at 35,000 feet because it had to have special eyelids and wings? The Canadian geese fly at 71 degrees, aerodynamically the, the perfect angle to fly. 
How did God know that? Who educated God? The Bible says, before things were, I am. It says, in the beginning, I was here. He never, he never spent a lot of time telling us where he came from or what he's up to, but he spends plenty of time telling us that he belongs to us and we belong to him. And this is so cool. Alvin, if God has a wallet, your picture's in it. And right now, he's showing you off. That's my son. That's my daughter. Right now, he's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to dwell where people gather together in his name. Would somebody say, praise the Lord, with me in this house? It is aerodynamically impossible, not just for the bumblebee, but for the hummingbird to fly. It's scientifically, aerodynamically impossible, yet God told them that they could fly. How cool is that? The next verse says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he take up the isles as a very little thing. You know, I think about, I think about the wine islands. And that's probably our second, second favorite place in the whole world. I'd say Disneyland's our favorite in a wise a second. I think about the time that I spent on the, on the, in the, the Grand Cayman, the, ba- the Bahamas, Jamaica. I spent several days in the Dominican Republic. I think about all the beautiful islands, all the wealth, all the treasure, all the golf courses, all that, all that man has provided, all that man has done. And God says it's simply dust on a rag. The things that we, that we edify and glorify and we think are so cool, God said if you'll get your eyes off the natural, I'll let you walk in the supernatural because you're going to spend all of eternity enjoying all the islands and all the pineapple and everything that you want to enjoy. That will come then, but now I want you to enjoy me, not get hung up on stuff. And he says, don't, don't make a big deal that demons are subject unto you, but make a big deal that your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that child that's in Christiana's womb, I'm going to take a leap of faith here. They, they address everything as male, so we'll address them as male. God knew everything that child would do, everything that child would be a part of. God has already invested in 401k that this child will have the ability to do everything this child wants to do. That's how cool he is. When we're out sowing wild oaks or we're out doing this or out doing that, God sees us in ministry. God sees the favor upon us. And then he divinely begins to connect people in our life, situations in our life that we learn to turn to him. And I know you all I know, y'all know that. I am from Southern California. I am a Huntington Beach surfer. I grew up with that crowd. I remember somewhere around the age of 19, 20 years of age, this theory came out that God is dead. And they put it on bumper stickers, God is dead. You remember those days? They said, God is dead. Well, I just had a few thoughts concerning the God is dead theory. Um, If God is dead, who killed him? If God is dead... What disease did he die of? And where's the coroner's report? If God is dead, can I talk to the man who examined the body? And where is the death certificate and the person that signed it? If God is dead, what cemetery did they put him in? And can I talk to the man that dug the hole, put the body in there, and built the tombstone? If God is dead, why wasn't I notified? Because I happen to be one of his sons. And if my dad is dead, I want to send flowers and food. But more importantly, if God is dead, who's this living in my soul? He woke me up this morning, started me on my way, and said, this is the day I have made. Enjoy it. I made it just for you. 
What a mighty God we serve. He is not dead. He's alive and well. He's coming back for a church that are why alive and well. So many scripture confirm the greatness of the glory of God. Just want to talk about Job 36 and 26. Behold, God is great. We pray that prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. God is great. And the number of his years cannot be searched out. Revelation 1 and 18 says he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the, be- the start and the closure. He's not just the author of your life, but he's written the final chapter that you are to dwell with him forever. And then a series begins and God begins to write series and novels about your eternity. What a thought. John 4 and 24 says that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me tell you some, some things about a spirit. You can grieve a spirit. You can run off a spirit, but you can't kill a spirit. God is unkillable. I know God can't make a rock so big that he can't pick up. God is a balanced God. Help me. He weighs things in a balance. The Bible says that he is a balanced God. Several years ago, many trying to run from the call of God in their life, the direction of God, and this is Charles Darwin's personal testimony on his deathbed. At a very young age, he felt called to do some things for God. He ignored them. And he came up with the theory of evolution. And I will not waste you with terms like osmosis and biomosis and thematosis and metamorphosis and, and, and all that thing happening because the more you read it, the more you look at it, the more baloney you realize they're trying to feed you. And when I look at the Big Bang Theory and look at all the, all, all the things that people say, this is how we came to be, I want to remind an agnostic or an atheist or apologetic, I have watched a baby being born. And you cannot watch a baby come from the mother's womb so beautiful, so perfect, and so intact, and doubt the presence and doubt the existence of God. Somebody help me. This, 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 this theory of, of evolution, I like to, I like to talk, talk about the theory of Genesis 1 and 1. I, mean, I didn't come in on the watermelon truck. I got all easier time believing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was out form and void and darkness moved upon the face of the deep and God said let there be light and there was light. I believe John 101 in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same in the beginning with God. All things are made by him and without him there's nothing made that was made. I like Hebrews 1 and 3 it said by faith we know that the, word, the, the things that are seen were not framed the things that we understand but without faith it's impossible to please God for he that cometh to him must believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently somebody to stand on their feet a moment just got it come on give God a hand clap of praise in this house he is worthy exceedingly abundantly above and all thank you Lord new thought to the song what a mighty God we serve where does God come from anybody well, the Bible tells us in Habakkuk 3 and 3 that God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, that's not the Mount Paran in Atlanta, but Teman, the definition of Teman in Hebrew is the wilderness. But I like what S.M. Lockridge said about the wilderness. He calls it a place of nothing. So, the God from nowhere stepped out on nothing, took a handful of nothing, called it something, and then threw it out 60,000 miles an hour and said, you're the earth, you stay there till further notice. And then the God from nowhere...
stepped out on nothing again and took a handful of nothing and called it something. And he said, you're going to be the sun. And he threw it 93 million miles away from the earth and told it to hang there. And then he threw the moon. And then he began to speak. He began to preach. He began to prophesy. He began to say trees be and there were. Flowers be and there were. Wells be and there were. And then the God from nowhere got down in the dust of the Garden of Eden and formed a man out of human clay. And then he breathed his nostrils, the breath of life. And he said, I will come back for a people that's watching and waiting for me. What a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. When you think about power, I'm watching this, this mentalist series right now with Simon Baker. I'm really enjoying it. The guy really reminds me of Billy Burke because there is a police department in Pennsylvania that brings Pastor Billy to their precinct, shares with them some of the crimes, and they expect God to show him some of the answers, and God has used him with some of the answers. But I think about, I think about heroes. I think about supernatural. I think about all the, all the things that we're watching on TV right now, Inception, the book of Eli, all the, all the things that talk about power. So this morning, I just for the fun of it, I, I jotted down some things about power, the power of God. And I said his power is the power to speak the worlds into existence. His power is the power to raise up and tear down. His power is the power to make the crooked places straight in our life. His power is the power to make the heaven his throne and the earth his footstool. His power is the power to hold the Atlantic Ocean in one hand and the Pacific Ocean in the other. His power is the power to reach down on the dust of the earth and make a man that looks just like him. His power is the power to name the stars of the sky, to count the sands of the sea, to feed the sparrows of the air, and, and take account of every hair that fell from your head this morning. I'm talking about a God that can turn a whale into a motel to make accommodations for an evangelist. I'm talking about a God that can put a jawbone of a mule in a man's hand and kill a thousand Philistines. I'm talking about a God that can put an air conditioning unit in a fiery furnace. I'm talking about a God that make a lion's mane a pillar for a prophet. And I'm talking about a God that's going to come back for a people that's watching and waiting for him. He is God and he is good. Oh, come on, let him hear it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the greatest thing is that one day, this God's going to come back for us. The dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which alive and remain are going to be caught up. Some of these men of God have been talking to, we feel it's very necessary to do a rehearsal of some of the things concerning the last days and teach you about the rapture and teach you about the signs and th teach you about the things of that. But I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here in Cleveland, Tennessee, in these pair of Reeboks, Jesus is going to come back for me. I put all my trust, I put all my eggs in one basket. Everything, everything I put is in him. If he's wrong... Then I've had 50, 60 good years of life, a great marriage, great kids, great friends, great ministry, great food, if I'm wrong. But if I'm right, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How cool is that? How cool is that? And again, there are things that I refer to because as a child, Lonnie, they, they, grasp, they, they grab my attention. The uh, scientist on the Johnny Carson show was declaring the fact that, that Jesus, let me make sure I set this up correctly. I can't believe I can even read these notes. There was a great page here I didn't want to miss. 
a scientist went on the Johnny Carson show, probably an agnostic. An agnostic believes that there's a higher power, but you'll never be able to tap into it. But this scientist was declaring that Jesus could not have resurrected from the grave that Sunday morning, made his way to heaven, and sat with God, and God gave him all power, all, the five gifts, and then come back to the disciples that evening. He said there's no way possible if Jesus was to get in a spaceship traveling 186,000 miles per second, it would take him thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years just to reach the edge of our galaxy. Well, I got to thinking about that scientist, and I got to thinking about the art of science. And if you were to take that scientist, his human body, and you were to factor in all the minerals, and Mike, you factored in salt, potassium, sodium, all those minerals in that scientist's body, and you were to resell them, it would be worth about $14. So here this $14 man is wearing a $400 suit, $100 shoes, $50 tie around a 10-cent neck, gets in his $40,000 Beamer, drives to his $200,000 house, hugs his $14 wife, hello, sits on his $1,000 recliner and watches a $2,200 surround sound stereo. The $14 wife calls him to dinner. The $14 man sits down with his $14 wife and his two $7.50 children, and they eat a $50 steak. He gets up, heads towards bed, lays down on his $2,500 posturepedic mattress, and in the middle of the night, he dies. They take that dead man, put him in that $400 suit, $100 shoes, put him in a $2,000 coffin, dig him out of a $2,500 hole, put a $1,400 marble slab, and then cover him with the very thing that he was made of, dirt. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you're not a $14 man? If you'll notice in Job 38, I'm not even beginning to close. Job, like a lot of us, is going through some pretty heavy stuff. Had no tapes, had no pastor, had no Christian television, had no Bible, had no books, had no confidants, had no mentors, had no peers, had no Timothys. Lost everything. Naturally, he begins to question his relationship with the Creator. What have I done to anger God? What have I done to upset God? And then, and then we don't get answers for that. Then we start blaming God for a baby lost or a wife abandoned or a son died. And we become bitter. And we become cynical. And sometimes God's not going to come right down to our 911. God allowed Job to walk through this trial for nine months. He lost 10 kids. He was dying. The wounds were so bad, he was scraping them with a broken piece of pottery. He was laying in ashes. Three f friends were idiot friends trying to comfort him. They didn't have a clue what they're saying. And finally, God begins to answer some of Job's questions. There are questions today, why did my best friend overdose on drugs? There's questions today, why did 
I lose that baby. Question that why did my mom and dad pass away at such an early age? There are questions that we may never have the answers for here. But when we meet on that golden shore, we'll understand it all by and by. We'll see like a puzzle. God wove all the pieces together, all the circumstances together, all the situation together. And eye has not seen and ear has not heard. We can't even grasp the plan that God has for us right now. Right now. The distance from where I stand to the sun is 93 million miles. Can we allow... This piece of paper, the thickness, to represent that distance. The thickness of this paper represents 93 million miles. That's how far the sun is. If we were to stack paper, each paper representing 93 million miles, in reference to the nearest star, we would have to stack paper seven. The end of our universe, they claim that they have seen with this telescope. If we were stacked paper representing that distance, that each piece of paper representing 93 million miles, we would have to stack paper 370, I'm sorry, 310 miles now, I know that completely blows you away, but there is a star that we're seeing beyond our universe in another universe. They have determined. Brooke, if you were to represent the distance of where we stand, the farthest star, you would have to stack paper 310, I'm sorry, 31 million miles high. And that's why the scientists question Jesus. How could you leave the cross and go to heaven? Well, he does it whenever he wants. He did it that morning. He said, don't touch me yet. I haven't been glorified. That evening, he said, put your, put your hands in my nail holes. Put your hands in my feet. Put your hands in my side. Know that it is me. A few days later, Stephen saw him at the right hand of the Father. A few days later, Saul saw him on the road to Damascus. John the Beloved saw a white horse, and he was seated upon it, and he's going to rule and reign forever. The three Hebrew children saw him in the fiery furnace. Daniel saw him in a lion's den. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. Jeremiah saw him as the wheel within the middle of the wheel. And John the Beloved said, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And of his kingdom there is no end, and he shall reign forevermore Jesus went to the mountain Moses and Enoch came back stood there with him the Bible says there's a day coming when Enoch and Elijah are going to return to this earth to Jerusalem they're going to preach for three and a half years and then God's going to send a chariot and God's going to resurrect them and take them out and I'm excited about all that but I'm so glad that as for me and my house we do not intend to go through the tribulation 
We're going to to see the wrath of God. I've been invited to a wedding and all I've got to do is make sure that my wedding garment is clean and white to make sure that I love my wife the way that Christ loved the church to make sure that I submit to him as he has submitted to me. And on that day of days when the dead in Christ are going to rise up, we're going zoom, 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 past the moon, past the Milky Way to a place called heaven to be with a man called Jesus. You ask me why I'm happy, why I sometimes always shout because God put something in my heart that I can shout about. I met him at an altar in that good old-fashioned way. I met him at a mortar's bench where I tell them to pray. And since then, this is my story. This is my song. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. What's it like to be an eagle and to fly? What's it like to leave the nest and soar the sky? Well, I don't know just how it feels, but one day I know I will. But there's something telling me I was born to fly. Where's my dreamers? You dream that you were flying. You dream that you went to heaven. I'm telling you, one day that dream is going to become a reality. And we're going to Zion where God lives. Then we'll know more about this thought today. Where's the house you build me? Where's the place that I will rest? What a mighty God we serve. Look at somebody and say, what a mighty God we serve. Again, to run around the earth would take you four months. There's some, the circumference of the earth is 25,000 miles. It's a big place. Takes you like three days to drive to California. But not Pastor Tim's dad. Most people. It's about a two or three day drive. If the sun were hollow, the sun could hold. You ready for this? One million... 300,000 earths if this sun were hollow. There's a star in our constellation called Antares. If that star were hollow, it could hold 64 million suns. In the constellation Hercules, there's a star there that if it were hollow, it could hold 100 million Antarses. Let me freak you out just one more step. The largest star that we can view several galaxies away is called Epsilon. Many of you have a computer, Epsilon. If that star were hollow, it could hold 7 million Hercules stars. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. What is man that thou art mindful of him. I'll never understand why the king of glory would come to the dust of this earth and die for you and I that we could leave the dust of this earth and we could go live with the king. How incredible. In the, in the English dictionary, there are 500,000 words. Instead of this representing words, I like to represent it stars. So we have represented here 500,000 stars. If I may borrow another book and let it represent 500,000 stars, we now have a million stars. If I were to take another book and I were to represent 500,000 stars and add them together, we would now have how many stars? Come on, talk to me. I'm going to stop right now. Because Lonnie, if I proceed to stack books to represent the amount of stars in the universes, I would have to stack 80 
four quadrillion books to represent how many stars are in the sky. And can I tell you, God told Abraham one day to start counting. That would be the sands to see the stars. And he stopped at a thousand. He thought there were about a thousand. There are 142 sextillion stars in the universe. But do you know what Psalm 147.4 declares? He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them by name. God has a name for every single star that has ever existed. God has, come on, somebody ought to get excited with me. He says, you're the Milky Way. You're the North Star. You're the Little Dipper. You're the Big Dipper. You're in Taurus. You're Epsilon. You're Hercules. Anybody else can do that. Atheists declare that the miracles of the Bible are a fraud. They say the axe head can't float. However, 1,700 people got aboard the Titanic and left Europe to here thinking that they could make it. Pastor Ron and I, Debbie, Kendra, Susan, Got on a ship, we left Galveston all the way to Cozumel. Never once even entertained the idea that ship would sink. But they tried to question, question the miracles of, miracles of God. They said that the Red Sea, the miracle of the Red Sea, remember that? Pharaohs and armies. They said that's a misspelling. It's not the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is only two to three inches deep. And I thought, what a greater miracle! All the armies of Pharaoh drown in only two to three inches of water. How cool is that? They dispute Elijah. They say, Elijah cannot be caught up in heaven. He would get two miles above sea level and he'd freeze to death. Well, that's why God sent the chariot of fire, you dummy. Come on. But the, the, the best one, the best one that I, that I think is the one about the loaves and fishes. Little boy gave his lunch, five loaves, two fishes. Here's what the scientists declare. They made the loaves bigger in those days. See with me, if you will, a 12-year-old boy carrying a 900-foot-long piece of bread. And he's got a rope. He's ragging a 1,500-pound catfish. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. The thing that God has prepared for them. I serve a big God. I serve a mighty God. Big enough to rule. Big enough to dwell. Big enough to be a part of my family. He is phenomenal. Well, let me conclude with this thought. How big is God? He's big enough. Hebrews 11 chapter talks about all the heroes but the word clearly states that God is not done writing and recording events. And I believe several months ago when Melinda was T-boned by a vehicle and declared dead over 30 times, Pastor Jay, over 30 times they declared her dead. There were four prayer warriors outside the hospital had their hands pointed the direction that she was and every time they declared her dead they declared her alive. And she's here in the front row today, alive, because of the God that we serve. <laughs> Pastor Tim and I were called Ur Erlanger. Young man, 20 years of age, was playing around on, on the car. His girlfriend, he was on the hood of the car, and she hit the gas, and he fell off. She panicked. 
She hit the gas. She ran over his head. Literally destroyed his head. They called the family in and said, he's going to die. Machines all hooked up. Pastor Tim and I asked if we could go into the room. They reluctantly, kind of almost with an attitude, let us in. Entire families in the lobby. Tubes, valves, machines, laying their dead man. We laid our hands on all those tubes in his chest and says, we command this body to come in line with the word of God. You will live and not die. And he jerked. And he tried to jerk. The, and immediately, am I telling it? Just like the nurses immediately got us out of the room. He's alive today. The sad news, he's not serving God. And that's the puzzle. That's the mystery. God is so close. He's so tangible. He's so real. His presence is everywhere. Everything that God does is good. You cannot look at anything. I'm fa- when, when, you blow, when you blow up the picture of a flea or a mosquito or a fly and you blow it up and you look at the intricate, the little tiny carvings and markings and things you can't see with the natural eye, you declare, how awesome is our God? And there are those that he has laid down his life for. And he's given himself to them. He died so that they could live. I don't know that it's sermons like this is going to impact people to come back to God. I personally believe that it is your testimony. Attached with faith in the power of the blood. The word said we overcome the enemy. By the word of our testimony. And by the blood of the lamb. Each one here today, God has given you a testimony. God has done something on your behalf. We have received miracles in such a fashion, we've learned to take advantage of miracles. We've, we've learned not to acknowledge God for what he has done in our life. I remember years ago, and I'm, I'm still preaching. Years ago, I went and preached for a pastor friend there was somebody there having a tough time in life. And they asked if they could relocate to Cleveland. Absolutely. Door opened. They came. Got plugged in. Got planted. Got a job. Got a car. Got married. Got married. And sometimes don't acknowledge the sovereign power of God that brought them together. It wasn't by chance that you met who you met. Mike and Ray, it wasn't by chance. God brought you here. Probably another place, I mean, probably another place in the nation would you have survived. But you're here. And the family's coming. Things are coming. He cares about the fact that my toenails are black. How many things I'm kidding? <laughs> Cares about that. It's none of your business unless I wear my flip-flops Wednesday. Cares about that. He cares about the smallest, silliest things in our life. And I'm the God of restoration. I'll bring it back. Stronger, taller, 
better. Not to take away from what you had, but to know the end is greater than the beginning. The latter is greater than the former. We trust him. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, it would not, it would not be fitting today to talk about my best friend who also happens to be my creator. It would be unfair for you to tell you about my best friend and not give you an opportunity to meet him. If you're here today and you're in a church that we do not believe in coming back to you, we don't believe in people coming for you, Jesus never gave an altar call. We do it because that's just something the 20th century church started doing. But today I will not embarrass you. But today if you are away from God, not where you're supposed to be, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? Just put it up, put it right back down. Thanks. 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 See, all of that was all about this. When we talk about God's greatness, goodness, and mercy, it's to convince you that you're not disqualified, no matter what your past has been, but that you can have all the benefits that God wants you to have. God, we know that Rome was not built in a day, neither are devout, sincere, incredible Christians developed in a week. But Lord, there's got to be a starting place. There's got to, there's got to be a window. And we declare, that was then, this is now. No matter how many times we fall, and a good man falls down seven, gets up eight. No matter how many dangerous toils and snares we've been counted, today, we're under the covering of your voice, the covering of your love, and we've lifted our hands. We acknowledge that we cannot make it by ourselves. We cannot do this alone. And we acknowledge there's nothing we could do to merit this gift. This gift is priceless. You cannot purchase. It's beyond purchase. But today we acknowledge that we have sinned and come short your glory and that we have failed. And we will probably continue to make mistakes and we'll probably continue to fail. But today... Our heart is not filled with arrogance or pride. Our heart is filled with humility because where sin doth abound, your grace doth much more abound. And Father, let us learn that daily you will feed us, daily you will clothe us, daily you will sing over us. And on that day of days, we will stand in your presence and we will declare God is good. In Jesus' name. Can we give Lord a hand clap of praise there?